0: Welcome to the Big Unlock podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patti Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock podcast. My name is Paddy Padmanabhan, I'm your host. I'm the CEO of Demo Consulting, we're a digital transformation advisory firm focused on healthcare. My special guest today is Tim Skeen, CIO of Centara Health. Tim is no stranger to the healthcare world and has spent long years on the payer side of the business. And now he's the technology and digital transformation leader for what many refer to as a pay wider a health plan and a health system all rolled up in one entity. Tim discusses at length his various technology priorities and initiatives and talks about some very interesting things that they've done within the organization, such as developing and patenting IP that they're looking to take outside into a commercial entity. Well, let's jump right in. And before we get to the conversation, a quick shout out to our sponsors and supporters. Be well. It's my great privilege and pleasure to be here with Tim Skeen, CIO of Centara in Virginia. Tim, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sitting aside the time and welcome.
1: Thanks, Patty. Appreciate it. Really enjoy uh, being able to have conversations with folks in this provider space since it's new to me for the past year and a half and. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversations. So
0: I'd love to dive right in. Uh, Maybe we can start uh, by giving our listeners a little bit of an idea of who Sentara is, what populations you serve, how big the organization is, and then a little bit of your background. You you just mentioned that uh, you're relatively new to the provider space, but you're not new to healthcare. So maybe you can tell us a little bit of background about yourself as well and how you got into this role.
1: Sure. No, great, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. So, Centerra has been around for over 130 years as a nonprofit mission uh, for the community asset, providing uh, care delivery services for many, many years. Just over 20, 25 years ago, it started uh, also uh, supporting a health plan and insurance products across multiple lines of businesses. It's made up of 12 hospitals. It covers almost a million health plan lives, uh, both in Medicaid. Medicare, uh, the individual, as well as large and small group. The bulk of that, 60-plus percent of those lives are in the Medicaid space from a regional standpoint all across Virginia, originally kind of founded and expanded in the Hampton Roads area, but also now in northeastern North Carolina as well. We have a College of Health Sciences. We have nine magnet nursing hospitals, over 300 sites of care more than 900 physicians, more than 470 advanced practice providers, and just over 1,370 medical group providers. So large organization, both on the, the care and delivery side, as well as on the health plan insurance side. And this year, for the first time, will be about 50-50 in terms of overall revenue between uh, health system and health plan. And so really that balance as we continue to grow on both sides really allows us some of the interesting things we can do as an integrated delivery network, but also linked to a large membership health plan, especially an underserved population like Medicaid in terms of providing access and, and proper care. That's important, particularly meaningful to me because I started my career when i first jumped from finance into the healthcare world about 25 years ago on the payer side so on the health plan side and what i did on that initially was in the medicaid fee for service world so my first experience to healthcare and to delivering services to a you know to a needy population was with state medicaid programs all over the country and so that brought whole different level of mission that kind of drove to what you needed to do to provide these services that they uh, so critically needed to rely on. And through that process, I've progressed through a number of different large payers and through other lines of business where I've been involved with all types of membership on the commercial as well as government side. Uh, And most recently, leaving Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield and then coming over here to the provider nonprofit side of the world for the first time with Sentara. So it's been a great journey and getting involved in an even more mission-driven organization that both is doing not just helping from a health insurance standpoint, but also direct care has been really rewarding and interesting to learn that process and to be part of this organization.
0: I have to believe that you bring a very unique perspective to your role as a CIO of uh, an integrated healthcare system, which has a health plan, as well as a large provider organization and 50-50, as you indicated. So can you maybe share with us a little bit of what are some of the unique needs of an entity like yours? Many would refer to it as a pay wider and payer and a provider. And from your perspective, what are some of the unique aspects of such an organization and how they drive your technology priorities as a CIO at santara
1: yeah, no, you know, for me, I experienced on the payer side this concept of trying to create value-based contracting and value-based care and incentives around how you're going to drive that collaboration where there isn't uh, there is the same incentive both as an insurer as well as the care delivery side to provide the best outcome and the most affordable, accessible care for the end consumer, and it shouldn't be different or a different incentive and a different goal just because I'm a payer versus I'm a provider. And and what we found was that when we were just in the payer space, trying to get providers to focus on that value-based care to sign up to what is some level of risk, which of course, health insurance companies have been doing all their life. Their life relates around risk. That's a very difficult and new concept to kind of grab hold of as a physician and, and a care provider on the other side. So there's this partnership that has to that has to come together where there's a level of trust that says, hey, we're trying to get the best outcome out of here, not try to win on either side, but provide what is the best, most affordable accessible services that benefit both sides of that equation. And I said think that even though I was part of a really large payer, trying to get providers to be engaged or forced into that was difficult because there wasn't that level of trust. Part of coming to Sener was with that experience thinking about, okay, well, I'll come here, and we both have we own our providers and we own and we own the health plan. so that will be natural that they're doing this value based and trust, and that's happening. But there are a couple of different things. Some of them are, to be fair, compliance and regulatory that prevents some of that interaction to being at the depth that it probably could be. But a lot of it is once again their incentive in their own kind of tower around certain goals to deliver for the organization, as opposed to bringing this in and looking at what is the overall goal and how do we make that coordination work better in our microcosm that theoretically I'm supporting all of the technology and data and analytics needs across all sides. So I should have that visibility and should be able to unite that. So that's part of the goal. That's part of what I'm trying to drive for. That's part of how I'll measure whether I'm successful or not here is to see that come together better and then take that beyond that to say, how do our hospitals and providers also interact in that value-based way with payers that we don't own, right, that we're not part of, that are part of these other broader systems, right? Because in our regions, there are plenty of other payers that have many more members that we serve for a care delivery than our own health plan. So we want to be able to do that and take those lessons and scale those across our entire ecosystem of external payers as well.
0: Yeah, and of course, everybody is aware of the somewhat adversarial nature of independent health plans and providers. That's kind of historical. But now you have a unique opportunity being in an organization where there's a common ownership to really drive a lot of synergy. And as you rightly mentioned, driving outcomes, you know, what's the best outcome for the patient population and consequently for the organization? Can you touch on one or two opportunity areas as you see, as you look at it holistically, And from a technology standpoint, is it data? Is it common use of some platforms? Can you touch on a couple of these things?
1: Yeah, so it's like anything, it's building up a foundation and keeping adding layers to that that allow with that interaction and connectivity to be easier, right? So at that foundation has gotta be data, right? So it's gotta be data that flows ubiquitously under the right security, under the right usage rights to be shared to get the best outcome for the care, but also then to understand where there are care gaps, where there are other activities we can be doing proactively to both benefit and create a lower cost of care, but also get to do provide the right services at the right side of service, and whether that's in a hospital or at home, that makes that outcome be the most affordable and the right best outcome for their, their overall health. So data is critical to that, data that is clean, that is linked and uniquely identified so that we know that the consumers and patient entity is the right one we have the right data set about. And then rolling that data up to then have insights into how we're performing from a population health standpoint and from a practice and cost of care from an insurance side to the way we're delivering care to that population and what things can we do to improve and be more proactive on some of the care that helps Prevent a higher cost of care down the road, and so that is interesting and challenging. Also, because from a payer standpoint, right, generally you have a membership for one year. You're enrolled in a, in the plan, and the next year you could you could leave, and so you maybe not don't get the benefits of that. But you, if you think about this holistically, you care about the health for the next 50, 60 years of of that population. You have to look at that more holistically. On top of that data, then I start thinking about an engagement or a visualization layer that has to be from a digital standpoint, digitize. So how do you get digital engagement, especially for the members and patients, right? To make sure they're engaged and also engaged in the best outcome for their own health and take some responsibility for that engagement. And then also have our ability to have our care deliverers as well as our care managers, our disease management managers, our case workers, home health workers, how do they have that digital interaction and visibility of that data to also optimize that care overall, right? And then there are pieces that go beyond just the technology that is around how you get those operational workflows to work, right? Because in many cases, created some, in my past, created some great dashboards of data that theoretically should have led the providers in the right areas to do the work and where to flow, but it was a standalone dashboard. It wasn't embedded in their workflow of the EMR. And so whatever that workflow of EMR about how we actually do transact and do care delivery, we've got to be able to, at that next level above data and digital to figure out how you embed that in the workflow or the work process so that they're going to engage in that way. And it's not them having to go and get out of their normal workflow and go look at other things. And and part of that workflow besides engaging their EMR is also doing other things that allow them to engage more of their time more effectively. So we can start getting into natural language processing, natural language understanding, right? Machine learning, AI, voice rec, things that can do other things to help with the fatigue and burnout and the amount of time that we're taking, but still getting the documentation that's needed to be able to measure and make sure you have good programs across the board from a payer and from a provider standpoint.
0: I'm curious to know one thing, Tim, you came from a large health plan. And in general, health plans have been a little bit further ahead than health systems in their use of technology, data enabled strategies for engaging with patients or for managing population health and so on and so forth. What have been some of your initial impressions uh, as you've come into this organization and and consequently, what are some of your priority areas, especially as you try to bring these two organizations together to drive synergies?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things, right? so if you think about when I came into this with a with a viewpoint, of kind of how do we build up the competency and capability of our technology platform or infrastructure? So the first thing I came in to thinking about, okay, how simplified is our environment? Can we simplify further? Are we at a good place from a simplification standpoint? Are we at a good place from a security standpoint? So are we? do we have a good security posture? These are all like Maslow's, you know, you're going up the spectrum of what things you have to have in terms of food, shelter, right? It's the same thing. The next thing I think about was resiliency. Do we have the level of resiliency from a disaster recovery and business continuity standpoint to also have those foundational things to start from? Because we don't have that, trying to also do the most advanced digital care, remote patient monitoring, all those things is going to be really difficult and problematic if you don't have some of that foundation. So, looked at that, and then I then I looked at scale because if you don't have scale, when you think about growth and affordability. To do this on a broader impact, you have to change what you're trying to try to tackle, what your goal is. Because if you don't have a a platform that can scale and support that growth, once again, another foundational piece. So, those are areas attacked early on in the process. Fortunately, the previous CIO had done a great job for the previous three or four years doing cloud transformation. So, as a foundational infrastructure, getting 80% of our platform stack, both on the health plan and the health system, into a single cloud. A structure and a segmented secure environment of that data and that compute, because what that allows you to do is scale, because cloud translates to your, your agility to be able to scale out and scale down within that compute environment, and then also to secure it. So security was a neat, another piece of that. And additionally, I did additional security adverse, ad, you know, adversary simulations to see how good we were both physically and digitally. I attacked disaster recovery to change our recovery time on our core uh, tier one systems from what was almost 20 days with uh, tape and offsite uh, recovery to an actual real-time instance between cloud to cloud that we could um, replicate and, and get our DR system up in four minutes. So a massive change in getting that foundational piece. Now, what we're putting on top of that are more expanded data layers where we're starting to get engaged more with external data and broader types of data, including getting having partnerships with companies that have deep learnings and products in AI, machine learning, and using NLP, NLU, using these other technologies. So we're engaging in that. We're engaging in a digital transformation that takes us beyond just a, a portal and an app to really something that can be a framework for all types of digital interactions and provide this broader virtual care platform. Because so I think if COVID showed us you know, anything else, it was momentum around what we can do from anywhere in terms of meeting patients where they need to be and providing that care in a more virtual world. So having a platform that can scan across the entire way from hospital all the way down to home and to even wearables from on the move standpoint, that you can have that interaction. So that kind of platform is really stepping up to say, now we're going to drive more and more around there. Now, when you think about that, if you have all this capability, this connectivity, now you've got to all of a sudden step up how you think about. CRM or customer service support. So when you think about a contact center and environment, it's not just calling a phone, someone picking up a phone, and and saying I'll call you back with an answer. It now has to be through all sorts of omni-channel connections to have that interaction. And now you have to have those folks that are engaging at a higher level of competency and knowledge to really provide true omni-channel interaction experience where people feel like we know them and it's personalized, and we can really feel like they're going to engage with us because. We need that engagement every day across our system. If you think about it just as a provider standpoint, we average, what, about 2.7 interactions a year with our patients. 2.7 interactions in an entire year is not enough to get engagement, to get trust, to get really the full breadth of health and wellness that we have to bring to that population. So we need to want them to interact with us every day. And it doesn't have to be every day because they think they don't want to interact with us more than 2.7 because they're interacting with us from a sick care experience no we want to think about health and wellness and they're interacting whether they're doing really well or they're doing really sick they're interacting and they're not necessarily paying us anything but they're interacting because we are now their trusted ecosystem where they want to manage and think about the health and well-being of just not just them but their entire family and extended family let's take
0: a quick break and i'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors be well and if you like this podcast rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, Tim. I wanna touch on a couple of things really quickly. You made references to cloud, you made references to CRM. For the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us where you are in your cloud transformation and cloud migration journey and your CRM journey? And in that context, where does your core transaction platform or core platform, if you will, Epic in this case for the health system? Where does it fit when in that overall context?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So a lot of effort and focus on getting those tier one platforms, like you said, an EMR like Epic on the provider side, your core claims processing and financial billing and payment systems on your uh, your claims you know systems to support your health plan side. And so both of those, we've migrated into Microsoft's Azure cloud. And so we have multiple segmented instances where we're, we control who accesses what systems across that. We also have a regional instance to have a DR and primary to support that. And so the bulk of our compute, as well as all of the data and reporting Is up in that cloud. And so we did, we spent a lot of time and we actually have a patent, provisional patent that's tied to what we did with our cloud transformation. And so that patented solution, we're actually going to leverage that with our lessons learned over the past three or four years, which are more than just how to get something to cloud, but how do you change from CapEx to OpEx? How do you convince the board and ELT about the value of cloud? beyond just saving dollars, because it's about agility, uh, how fast you can move, how fast you can spin up and spin down, how easily you can interact with other cloud-based systems and technologies, right? Like Salesforce, since you met CRM, which I'll go into a little bit, which is one of the the CRM tools that we've we've rolled out, but and Workday, we just went live with Workday on April 1st. So these are all cloud-based systems that can interact better if you're in a cloud environment. And the interesting thing is one of the things that we've pushed hard working with the team over the past months, and we'll come out with in the next couple of months is we're actually going to spin off a for-profit cloud IT services organization that was built up in terms of its IP capability, the talent was built up inside of Centera. But to get that talent to keep on growing and be able to do what they want to do in a for-profit world, we decided we need to spin this off as its own new company and create that joint venture so that those folks can grow and we can still retain and get the best technology folks that will work for an environment like that that may not think about their primary IT job being working for a a not-for-profit health system. So that's a tremendous story in terms of what we did, how we learned how to do that effectively, how we ate our own dog food. And now we have a framework and a construct that is licensable and driven towards a patent that is real IP that we can now help other health systems or pay providers go down a path of helping with that journey to cloud because there's still a lot of folks that need to get that foundational journey to cloud that benefits all of these other areas and components. And with that, I'll answer just briefly the CRM component. There are a number of CRMs today. The most recent one that we rolled out and that went live just a few weeks ago was leveraging Salesforce inside of our health plan. But I would like to think more of it, a CRM or a contact ecosystem of all those Omni channels being more than just your standards old school CRM, even if people don't think Salesforce is old school, right? But the old school deployment of a CRM or a call center is much different than where it needs to be in terms of a true contact center or contact ecosystem.
0: Well, first of all, uh, congratulations on patenting this uh, cloud migration process whenever it comes out and whenever you're ready to announce it. We'd love to hear what that is. And then you're spinning it off as a separate company. This uh, it's very interesting to me because I see some other uh, progressive health systems, uh, some leading health systems doing the same thing. They're spinning off things that they've built within the company. You know, Providence comes to mind, Intermountain, uh, quite a few others uh, that come to mind that have actually taken IP that's been developed in-house and have found uh, a way to monetize it. I'm just curious, is it just opportunistic or what is driving that? Is it talent? You mentioned talent retention. What's the big driving force behind taking internally developed IP and then spinning it off as a a separate entity?
1: Yeah, so great question because it's really a different mind shift from coming from a for-profit payer world and what we would have been driving towards, which was generally around profit and spinning up valuations and spinning up overall dollar values, right? For Sentara, its belief in doing this is really focused around a couple different problems, right? Primarily, it's a piece of saying, reflecting to to our community and to the outside world that, hey, we are progressive. We're innovators. We are trying to drive for those best solutions, not just clinical solutions that can... Really, fuel the best outcome for our communities and our patients and residents that our customers within our environments that we cover. So part of it is about being progressive and innovative and and showing our commitment to that, and that we're we're not your one hundred and thirty year old Centera, right? A second piece of that is around our talent and our commitment to our members of our team are the most important aspect of our company, right? They are the fuel of everything. They're everything to what we deliver to our customers as a value. And so being able to create an environment where I don't have to outsource to lots of different technology-only vendors all my expertise and my jobs for my region and in, in terms of creating that, being able to create an environment where those folks can develop and continue to grow in a technology word, and not feel like they have to go to a, a Google or an eBay or a, a Microsoft, right? They can do that here and we can still get value out of them and also be connected closely with the mission of making our environment better. And also what we care about with other health systems like you mentioned Inter- Intermountain or Geisinger or others absolutely want to be part of that and see that that's an important piece of the value. And I think what it allows us to do is a third piece of that is to take other technology competencies and capabilities and keep have a place for them to land if we really need to retain and attract, be able to get that talent more, so to speak, into that environment. And I would say a couple different things since you mentioned Providence and Intermountain, right? I mean, so we've worked with Providence a bunch. That was one of the first system I was introduced to when I first started here a year and a half ago. And a lot of that was because of Rod Hockman was used to work, he used to run Norfolk General. He used to ru- work for Centera. He's part of Centera before he went to, be, to run Providence and, and got to meet BJ Moore, who came over not from healthcare, but from Microsoft, right? So another technologist to interact with. So we've had lots of good conversations with them. And that even led early on to one of the investments we did in one of the companies that was spun out of Providence, right? True that an AI machine learning data company that's for profit and was part of that Series A and worth another 20 other health systems with the same mission. So that's a great story. And once again, why they're doing that, incubating and spinning out, you could talk to Rod and BJ, but it's even a little different than what we're doing here with this cloud. Um, Intermountain, right? You see that they were involved in Graphite Health, now a little different, right? It's a not-for-profit as opposed to a for-profit, but the previous CIO that I got to spend a lot of time with in my early days, Ryan, is now just, as you probably saw, just announced that he's moving over as the COO for Graphite Health and out of the system. So really an environment to allow all the talent to really help build out more competency and capability on our own, whereas probably historical, we were kind of held hostage to all the technology and vendors out there that were doing these things to us. Now we're becoming more mature, and our ability to do some of that are for ourselves, I think, is really important change in the mindset of historically not-for-profit health system.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great segue to what I was going to talk about next, which is Now, you have an EHR vendor, which is Epic, and you also have now the opportunity to work with a number of other enterprise-class technology companies, such as Microsoft that you mentioned, uh, ServiceNow, Salesforce, all of those. But you also have this growing ecosystem of digital health startups that are bringing a lot of innovation to the table as well. So how do you go about parsing through this landscape, Tim, as a CIO, (laughs) someone who? who is innovative and wants to drive and harness the innovation, but also has to manage the risks and the returns and uh, balance it all out. How do you go about it? Talk to us a little bit about how you're approaching this landscape of digital health solution, especially as you transform your organization.
1: Yeah, it is a great question and a tough thing to solve, right? No matter where you are, how big you are, profit for profit, not for profit, right? Knowing every startup and every technology and where it's progressing, and what's real and what's not real. I mean, it's a very confusing, chaotic environment out there. And so that's a difficult thing to attack. And what it leads to is kind of what I inherited when I first came in here. When I started looking at our digital transformation program and things that were digital-like across all of our enterprise, I inventoried almost 150 different digital-like pilots or proof of concepts or whatever you want to call them going on all over the place and, you know, less, you know, barely half of them, IT even was involved in and knew about. So there was just, there's all this happening and you want some of this innovation to happen, but you don't want to happen in chaos in a way where you have six solutions for the same problem. I mean, you have these duplications. So one of the big things I did early on with bringing in chief digital officer was to start inventory and then started collapsing that back just down to something manageable. So first, you got to clean up your environment before you start adding more things to the pile to evaluate out there in the environment. And then the other thing I would recommend, besides having some good trusted partners and others to help you in that journey of assessment, because they can put more focus on that that marketplace as opposed to you, plus doing your full-time day job. Besides rely on those partners. One of the first things you need to do after inventory and collapsing, really what's going on and getting your control kind of hurting those caps and getting governance applied to that model is really figuring out what you're trying to solve in the solutions. What I found out is we were bringing in lots of solutions looking for a problem. What we weren't doing well is defining what the problem was what good looks like, what the outcome is we want to achieve, and what the value, if we were to achieve that is, and then prioritizing those things that bring the highest value, then go attack a structured way, the best solutions, either things you already have in-house that you integrate or new solutions externally that you bring in to help solve that problem in more of a constructive way that isn't about, you know, here's a great cool technology, let's figure out where we can use this somewhere. It's about What are our big problems? And what are our big value creation that we have across the system? And let's focus on those things. And then that allows you, the beauty of that is it allows me, once I have that construct now, when I get 20 emails a day from various vendors and reach outs both internally (laughs) as well as uh, externally, I can put it against that lens and says, hey, that doesn't fit in my top priority things that I'm worried about. That's number 120. I'm not getting 120 for another 18 months. So come, you know, come back and talk to me then. I'm going to focus, say, say, focus back on the things that I really need to solve that bring the highest value.
0: Yeah. So, question for you: as you go through this rationalization process, if you will, the optimization, the rationalization of all the scattered point solutions across the environment, are you leaning more towards uh, an EHR first approach towards your digital engagement solutions and opportunities? Or are you looking at each individual opportunity on its merit and evaluating all the best-in-class solutions out there, regardless of whether they come from the EHR vendor or not?
1: Well, it's, it's a good question, right? So when we created, before I joined, created the health system app, Centera app, focused around Epic. The approach they took was leveraging Epic's APIs. And so we integrated with the API framework also did our own solutions and wrappers around that and allowed to be, but it created a very customized environment. And what happens, as you know, with Epic, they're investing a ton into moving certain things forward, especially in, in MyChart in that environment, continues to improve. And when you're always a couple of releases behind, the APIs aren't keeping up with the capabilities. So Epic's ability to do kind of, not their generic MyChart, but a MyChart extended framework allows us to create I don't necessarily love the digital front door name, but a digital environment that not only supports and allows them to seamlessly interact with the capabilities of my chart and all the functionality that's there, but also allows me to bring in other types of solutions and connect other product sets within that framework. And so we are moving more and more to that framework. And remember, again, we're also trying to move into a cohesive application or digital environment that includes the health plan. So when I, I don't care, you know, when I'm a, like I said, a, a somebody who's a patient and also an Optima health plan member, I want that digital engagement to be seamless in terms of me seeing my care, also seeing what I need to do from the explanation of benefits and what I need to pay from a billing standpoint and my premiums. I want to be able to see all of that for all of my family across all those spectrums. So it's not just about... Can I be Epic first only? There's no way, because I have to cover all those other solutions as well. That being said, though, when I need to go out and figure I'm going to use a solution, I need to, a certain solution, You know, a certain hammer for a certain nail, I'm going to go to my key partner core vendors like Epic and say, hey, listen, this is what I need. Do you have it? Or will you have it soon? Or, you know, is it, it may not be the best solution in the marketplace. Is it the second or third best? Is it 80% or 90% of what I need and good enough? And if it is, then I'm going to leverage that framework. Because once again, that discipline around creating simplified environment and also not letting my environment go back to a bunch of cats running everywhere is that helps keep it disciplined and herded by doing that as much as you can. The answer is not always going to be epic or TriZetto on our claim side or anything, but it needs to be our first place to validate that across there. Then the second place would be the rest of our solution portfolio, right, and our CMDB to see if it's in there. And then, okay, if it's not, let's go attack the right solution and define what we're looking for and how to score those solutions in a fact-based way that allows us to make the right decision, not because somebody, you know, has a brother-in-law or their next door neighbor, they know somebody who knows somebody, you know, which tends to happen, at least what I've observed, can happen in these environments.
0: That's very helpful. Switching topics here to something else. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you're managing the governance for all of your digital initiatives? Now you've got a health plan, you've got a health system. What's your org structure? How do you go about making the investment? Is there a pool of funds that, you know, that's signed off at of the level? Can you talk a little bit about
1: that? That's probably a full-hour topic. Um, in terms of, I spent a lot of time on that early in the process, right? Because the governance, especially across our digital programs, as I described, was a little all over the map. And there wasn't good correlation between the financial investment and to results and whether those results were achieved with that financial investment. And then how that, that investment got added was kind of ad hoc. Somebody came up with a good idea and you'd get some money or somebody come up with another. It wasn't, it wasn't really well-structured or governed from that standpoint. So I spent a lot of time besides inventorying and, and consolidating, rationalizing, it was also around figuring out what are the right governance teams and finding the right senior leaders that should be part of, what we we call it the G9, but it's the top nine leaders that are engaged in, in approving both funds as well as prioritization and it's an interactive model where they're engaged. And so there's these steering committees you find historically that were here, but the people weren't showing up for the meeting. They weren't engaged in. It. They didn't know that they needed to be actually rolled their sleeves and be embedded in this. They actually got to put that energy and engage in it. And if you're not going to engage, then we replace your spot on the G9 with somebody else <laughs> that wants to engage. Because it's not that we don't want everybody involved that has the most senior responsibilities, but that's not enough if they're not can't be engaged. So they have to be engaged. On that G9, they also have to be empowered to make those decisions. So if we need to make a decision on something, we don't need to go to somebody outside the G9 to ask mother, may I? These guys make the decision. So that's at the top governance piece. Below that, my chief digital officer created, we'll say, a chief digital steering or execution team that's made up of, of people from IT, from the digital team, from every operational area that's out there. So part of this also was saying, going to the senior leaders on the G9 and saying, hey, listen you know, I need a strategic person that knows your, your business. I need an operational person that knows your business in and out. And they have to be empowered to be able to engage anywhere and help shape the things that have to be done in that area, whether it's around their strategies or where they're heading, or whether it's operational reengineering that needs to occur. They need to be empowered to be able to do that. And so we created that then broader core team that is doing that day-to-day work. And like I said, we executed on creating that prioritized portfolio. Now we have. Sponsor and initiative owner for every initiative in that digital portfolio, which we didn't have before. We didn't know a lot of them didn't have owners. They definitely didn't have sponsors that were engaged or held accountable for being engaged. So now we have initiative. This is a great idea. You want the initiative? Then you first go back and you say, okay, well, do you have a sponsor? Do you have an owner? Well, well, this you can do it off the side of the desk. No, here's the definition of initiative owner. If you don't have one. We're not gonna prove it, okay? So it's not just about saying this is the right list. There's also about, do we have the right skin in the game to make it successful? Because you can't do digital transformation off the side of your desk. It's not possible. It's a core component that's all encompassing of people's time.
0: We're almost at the end of our time here. And I just like to touch upon one other topic with you, Tim. How do you see the role of the CIO today and what has changed in the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. I think there needs to be a certain amount of technology background and engineering discipline and knowledge, because this is a complex world where technology is a bigger and bigger in the forefront of enabling business and a lever in the business, right? So historically, where the technology and technology leaders were thought maybe as a necessary evil to keeping the lights on and keeping things running and my computer working to it needs to be a strategic lever to our overall enterprise and special business and and operations strategy. So in some of my roles, I've always been an engineering by heart and technologist by heart, driving architecture environments, both as CTO and CIO. But even my last role at Anthem, right? I had chief operation, I had COO responsibilities in the government business. So understanding the business and the full value chain from beginning to end is a critical part to being successful as a technologist and especially a critical part to be a successful CIO. So if Sentara wanted me to join as a CIO to just run technology and think that I'm a technology guy, you know, I probably wouldn't have came here. <laughs> I would only want to come here if they see me as an equal business partner at the table, figuring out what do we want to do with growth strategy? What lines of business do we want to grow? What additional care services do we want to expand? What M&A work do we want to do? So if I don't have an equal play and, and an equal seat at the table to, with an opinion that says this matters, and I have an opinion more on things than just technology, I wouldn't have come here. And 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 I don't think you'd get as much out of the CIO role. So the more you can find that, the better. You're not necessarily going to find it all in one package, right? The fact that I've been in healthcare for 25 years is a tremendous benefit. You may not be able to find, and you would say in some areas, maybe your chief digital officer coming out from the retail world without any health, healthcare experience helps because they're not, they're not jaded to the environment. But... For my opinion, as a core head technology leader, having that experience and knowing that business and be able to think like an operator as well, and then put with the balance of funding with value and we'll say the balance around operations, you can't do everything, but the balance around the give and take of what matters, right? Because I could I could say, give me $100 million for security and I'll make you more secure. Is that really going to pay off as making you enough secure to justify 100 million, right? What is the balance of that pragmatic, approach to leveraging technology in a business. And I think that's what a CIO needs to be in the environment to be as effective as they can.
0: That's wonderful. Well, Tim, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there for today. This has been such a fascinating conversation. And thank you so much for sharing such deep insights based on your uh, long years of experience as a CIO and specifically what you see in healthcare. Once again, thanks for being on the show and all the very best to you and your team.
1: Thanks a lot, Patty. really enjoyed the discussion.
0: Once again, I'd like to thank our partners Bewell for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions.